This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars, sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Welcome to the August 14th, 2023 For Your Benefit radio show. I'm Bob Lines, and in recognition of its National Make a Will Month, let's get started. And who better to guide us than the Schaefers, Karen Schaefer and Megan Schaefer. Karen is a certified financial planner, and Megan is an estate planning attorney, and we've known each other since forever. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All righty. So, you know, things to be covered. What do you what do you find when you're uh, talking with people that they either don't have a will or they have a will that probably isn't a will? It's, it's interesting. There's a fascinating statistic out there that 67 percent of Americans do not have a will. And this is a huge number. So really, our issue is, you know, why is it even important to have a will at all? And when we're asking this question of, you know, do I really need a will? We come down to a couple of of key areas. A will is what's going to let you spell out who's going to be in charge after you pass away, who's in charge of making all those big decisions with your money, with your assets, with those um, funeral arrangements. It also sets out who gets your stuff. Are we are we making sure that your assets get from your name to the people who actually rely on that money or to the people that you actually want to get it to? If there's certain charities or family members that you want to leave assets to, this is your chance to spell that out. It's also where we write who's going to take care of the kids. If we've got minor kids involved, how are we leaving them money in a responsible way? And how are we making sure that they're getting raised by appropriate people? Um, and then when we look at all, all three of those issues and, and all those different aspects, are we doing that in the most time and cost-effective manner? And so that's really, when we talk about having a will, we're talking about who's in charge, who gets your stuff, are the kids taken care of, and are we being efficient about this? We know that most people just don't have these wills. And it and, and I get a lot of pushback as the financial planner. I'm going to say your estate planning documents, your wills, powers of attorney, healthcare directives, appropriate trust as necessary are just a, really a cornerstone piece of somebody's personal financial plan. And yet... I would say at least 50%, if not more, of the above average person who is seeking out a financial planner not only doesn't have the documents, um, they really either never thought about it or thought about it long enough to say, yeah, I don't want to do that. And I just think people don't know what a nightmare it is when somebody dies without documents. And I see that a lot too in, in my line of work. I see, I hear all the time, well, Megan, I'm married, so I don't need a will because I don't need to say who's going to get my stuff when I die, everything, you know, my spouse will deal with all of that. So I don't need a will. There's no, there's no question about who's going to be in charge of where my stuff is going to go. 
And to those people, it's very shocking when I inform mm -hmm. them that they're in, in a lot of states, just because you're married does not mean that your spouse is going to inherit everything. If you die without a will, it comes down to state law that says who gets your stuff. So um, I live in the state of Maryland. If I don't have a will and I pass away tomorrow, I'm married and I have a four-year-old son. So if I pass away tomorrow and I never wrote a will, what would happen? According to the state of Maryland, 50% of my assets would go to my spouse and 50% would go to my four-year-old child. This oh, but he's a, really a smart boy. He's a very smart boy and he's very good with numbers. But let me tell you, he is not <laughs> financially sophisticated quite yet. True. I don't expect him to be for quite some time. Even if he were 18 years old and able to legally inherit this money and take it into his own bank account, even if he were legally on paper an adult, how many 18-year-olds do we know that are financially responsible? If if my son, you know, even in his early 20s were to inherit a significant amount of money, this could be a huge problem. It may not go to cover his college education. If he has complete control over what he does with that, there might be a new motorcycle in his future instead of that college education. We just don't and, and don't you find have Don't you find Meg that a lot of times young people just getting started feeling like they're living paycheck to paycheck and the house is in joint names and so there's not a lot of stuff you know if he inherits half a house but they forget you know if you're a federal government employee it is very likely you at least have the basic federal group life insurance and if you're young that's two times your income you're putting money into your thrift savings plan your um, federal benefits will often pay somebody who survives you your unused leave and six months worth of income, and it adds up. And it, it's and it's kind of dangerous for it. Do, it does add up, especially for our federal government employees who have all of these benefits that you're not really tapping into while you're alive, but they do come into play once you pass away, and especially if you pass away young. Where I also see a big problem is when people are passing away in untimely, un, you know, young ages. This is also, if we're really living paycheck to paycheck, that's the family where any kind of hiccup, any kind of bump in the road in terms of accessing their finances, that's a big problem. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you really want to make sure that you can still access an important bank account if your spouse passes away. I'm actually, unfortunately, going through this with, with a close friend of mine. Um, one of my son's best friend from preschool, his uh, father passed away very unexpectedly shortly after the 4th of July. Young guy, was supposed to be turning 40 this coming August, two young kids, and just a really horrible tragedy. Well, young guy, two young kids, not that much money because everything's going to the kids right now and you're still building up your career. So, but didn't have a will, had some important accounts that weren't owned jointly with the spouse. Um, and, and to add insult to injury, that this couple was also taking care of his grandmother. So we have Oof. several issues that are coming to play here. Now it becomes the question of, okay, well, who's going to take care of grandma? Because he, we didn't have documents saying if something happens to him, who's going to be the next person in charge? 
we have a surviving spouse with two minor children who is already going through the whirlwind of shock and devastation that comes with losing a spouse. And, um, oh yeah, she can't access the account that the mortgage was paid out of. So to do that, we're having to go to court. We're having to petition a judge to have an emergency hearing. And oh, by the way, once we do have, once she does have access to that money, she doesn't get all of it. She gets 50%. That remaining 50% goes to these two minor kids. And let me walk you through what that process looks like a little bit. If you're under the age of 18, you're not legally old enough to inherit money. So we've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old who have now inherited a, you know, a, a decent amount of money. It's, it's not a ton, but it's enough that the family needs to um, access on a regular basis and keep the mortgage payments coming in. So in order to access this money, their mother is going to have to petition a judge and say, I want to receive this money on the kid's behalf. Then for the rest of the time, until they turn 18 years old, so we're talking for the next 14, 16 years, she has to go in front of that same judge again every nine months to a year and say, look, here's where every penny has gone. This is just money that's going to pay the mortgage. This is just money that's going to pay the funeral costs, that's going to pay the education, the clothing of these children. It's money that her entire married life, she had just been, both of them as a couple had been considering joint money. But because the account itself was not in a joint name, we have 50% of that money going to the kids and we need judge Jax? approval to be able to access it. It's it's a horrible situation. And Megan, when when you say go before a judge, is that something that a person can do on their own, or they do they need legal representation? When the, when you say accounting, do you just take in your check register, or is it on one of those forms where it's going to take somebody to fill it out and make sure it's right every single time? Yeah, so it is something that um, it, it's a time consuming process and it's a costly process. Every time we're going into court, we're going to have to pay filing fees. Um, if this becomes something, you know, if you're very good with your Excel spreadsheets and your receipts, you can do this every month for yourself. But a lot of people need a lawyer to do this for them. And so we've well, got especially. legal fees on top of this every single year, especially then if we have now a single mother right. who is raising young children and just doesn't have the time for this. And and what a headache to just access the money. <laughs> to pay the routine bills, yeah. To pay the routine that, bills. That's a nightmare. But go back to the other sad part of this um, with the aging, the... the the grandmother. So that's a, becoming a more and more common story, right? As people get, are living longer, they're living long enough to get frail. And once you're frail, you might not just be able to see well enough to pay your bills, or you might become a little confused and it's inappropriate for you to be the decision maker. So a lot of families are doing this very informally, like sort of tag your it, you take care of mom and I'll take care of something else, right? Um, so what, what happens now that we don't have an official person? Um, what, what, what's the process of having to go to court and what, 
who's a judge likely to pick and how much is that going to cost? Right. So it is a very common scenario when we're looking at our parent and grandparent generations. And unfortunately, dementia is very, very common. I've seen a statistic recently that one in three Americans are going to have some form of dementia as they age. That's a huge percentage. So it's very common for children and grandchildren to step in and say, okay, I need to start managing things here for, for mom and dad. They get the paperwork in place, but the problem with the paperwork here, it said, okay, grandson is in charge. He's going to make all the decisions, but it didn't say what happened if he right. passed away. So now we have to go back into co another court to petition a judge to say, we need someone else named here who can take care of grandma. It's just yet another disaster. And aren't all of these situations local, right? So I'm, I'm in Michigan today because I grew up in Michigan. And I remember when my mom was starting to fail um, uh, mentally, not physically, for about six months, we tried this, have the friend and the uh, caregiver kind of tag team and look out for her. Um, and I realized this is just impossible and ended up having to move her to us. Um, but if she was in Michigan and I had passed away, wouldn't you have to find a Michigan court? Exactly. So all of yeah. these rules are local. And so it all changes depending on what state we're in and, and where we're crossing those, those state lines, what judges we have to work with and what courts we have to go to. And can you do that? I mean, we all learned how to work remotely during a pandemic. Can she, can your friend have a court hearing remotely or is she going to have to travel if this was the case? So ordinarily, you would absolutely have to travel to do that. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, in this case that I'm talking about, everything is local. But if, if okay. you have multiple jurisdictions involved, you have people paying for those plane tickets and those hotel rooms to get those yeah. court hearings. That, that, so that we've established that it, it is kind of a nightmare not to have the documents. I find that um, the, the most motivating um, aspect of all of this to get people to get the documents done is that if um, we get them done and get them done right, it's a huge gift because it, it not only um, takes care of some of these, eliminates these nightmares that you're talking about, but it also puts in place planning for incapacity. You know, as the financial planner, I always get a little bit more worried uh, about what's going to happen to my client when they're alive. And I'm, I'm not talking to somebody who's competent anymore, or I'm getting a phone call from a child, um, an adult child saying, hey, you got to talk to me because mom's been diagnosed with something and she can't communicate um, rationally anymore. And I have no authority to even tell this child mom's a client, you know, to mm -hmm. much less um, oh, great. I'm, I'm so glad you seem like a lovely person. I was getting a little worried about your mom. Let's just open all of the books here and start sending checks to you on her behalf. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. And it's, and that is where I have had a little bit more success. Just explaining, you do know that if you fall and break your hip and you recover nicely, but you have a bad time of it for a while, um, somebody's got to pay your bills. And when your kids call me, um, I, I can't answer that call without something in writing. 
All right, I think we need to take a break. So the good folks from WEPA, who sponsor the show, have a message for us. Times have changed, but WEPA's mission remains the same, to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. WEPA offers group term life insurance to civilian federal employees with up to $1.5 million in coverage, regardless of salary. As a WEPA member, you can access exclusive rates and benefits not available to the general public. How does this compare to Fegley? Unlike Fegley, WEPA's coverage amounts are not capped by your salary. WEPA will cover your family as well. For your children, WEPA offers double the benefits that Fegley offers. And for your spouse, WEPA offers 20 times more coverage than Fegley. 20 times more coverage! WEPA's coverage is also portable if you decide to leave the federal government or retire. You can even supplement or replace your existing policy. See how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. Welcome back to the final session of today's, um, well, second to last. So we had questions, though. And so uh, an opening question would be, or have I done this already? I've heard that 67% of the adults in the country don't have a will. Did we talk about that? Yes, we did. Okay. So what I thought, so I'll scratch it off. And then... And, and I will say, though, Bob, you know, 67% don't have a will. Of then those that remaining percentage that does have a will, the question then becomes, is this an up-to-date will? Is this an effective will? You know, it's amazing to me how many people I meet with and they say, oh, yeah, I wrote a will, um, you know, right after our first child was born. And um, so we're all set. And in the meantime, now 40 years have gone by and we've got a couple who, let's say, was living in the, the Washington metropolitan area, but now they've retired across the country and their assets have changed significantly and their family structure has changed significantly and they're living in a totally new place. And, and so their thinking is, well, I, I wrote a will, so I'm good to go. And unfortunately, just because you have a will and you wrote it at some point doesn't mean it's still the most effective document for you. In reality, what we should be doing is, is once we have a will written, what we want to do is every three to five years, think through, okay, who do I have named to be in charge if something happens to me? Who should be the one to handle all the paperwork, to arrange the funeral, to pay off the last medical bills? Who's the best candidate for that job? Who's my first choice for that job? And then who's my second choice for that job? And every three to five years, I want you to think through, okay, who do I have named in those decision-making roles? Do those people still make sense? If I were writing that document today, I would be naming my spouse as my first choice to make those decisions. And then for me, my second choice is my sister. Well, let's fast forward 40 years. Right now I have a four-year-old child, but if I have a 44-year-old child and I'm living large in my 80s, well, if my child proves to be a competent adult, it's going to make a lot more sense to name him as my decision maker rather than, say, my spouse or my sister. But I'm going to want to, so I'm going to want to update my document. Also, we want to look at who do I have named to get my stuff every three to five years. This does not mean you need a new will every three to five years, but every three to five years, I, people should really be thinking through who do I have named in my documents to get my stuff? Does that still make sense? 
I might have some protections in place if I want to leave my assets to a minor child that maybe I don't need anymore if my, my child is now grown up to be an adult. Maybe I had a falling out, maybe I with, with someone that used, I used to be close to, maybe I've developed a relationship in that time frame. Maybe I have a new favorite charity or um, maybe I've gotten a divorce. I can't tell you how many clients I see where they have documents that name an ex-spouse in there somewhere. So we, we really want to update these documents when needed, when we have these big changes in our family structure. Um, and, and also, if we, anytime we cross state lines, if I'm even just moving from Maryland to Virginia, I'm going to have different laws at play. So I'm going to want to make sure that I have the documents in place to reflect the local law. So if I'm retiring to a different part of the country, or if I'm just moving down the street, but for me down the street happens to be a, a different state completely, I'm gonna wanna meet with a local lawyer, have them review my documents and make sure that it complies with the local law that I've moved. The local I wanna emphasize that um, it, it, how important it is to look at your documents with current situation every three to five years. But in reality, I've been so impressed with how estate planning documents properly drafted anticipates so many changes that very often the um, even if you're making a change, it can be just a little tweak, a codicil where we're not spending the, the money to throw it away and start again. We're just taking out my brother and sister and putting in right um, my adult children to be in charge of various um, responsibilities in the documents. And that that's something that um, I think people just need to understand how, you know, if you're not used to, if you've never paid a legal fee in your life and it's, it's a professional fee, um, financial planners feel this, CPAs feel this, you know, when you are getting paid to give professional advice, sometimes people are a little surprised at what the fee is but it's a fee that doesn't get repeated every year. It's a fee that is a huge investment in avoiding nightmares and very costly nightmares. And then a little maintenance fee often until your circumstances really are so different, it might be more cost-effective to throw it away and start again. But um, right. And 90, I'd say 98% of the time when when people come in and they say I need to make an update to my will or, or they're sort of discussing what their life is and telling me different changes. 98% of the time, the only thing we're changing is names, whether yeah. that's the name of the person who's going to be in charge or whether that's the name of a favorite charity or whether a grandchild was born. But anytime we're just making those changes, this is just a little tweak to a document. This is not a, we're going back to the drawing board. I will say that one place that people really trip up is they'll have their will at home. Say they met with a lawyer and they had the original document drafted and now they say, okay, well, now I wanna leave, um, you know, I, I initially said I was gonna leave this person $5,000. Well, now I wanna leave them $10,000. And they'll take out a pen and they'll cross out the word 5,000 and they'll write in the word 10,000. Please don't do that. <laughs> if anytime we're making changes to our will, 
we don't need the full new document, but we do need to follow certain formalities for them to be valid. It needs to be any changes we're making need to be signed in front of at least two, in some states, three witnesses. And we need to have that those changes notarized. So still call up the attorney, say, I want to make these little tweaks, but know that don't, don't be so afraid of, of a massive bill coming your way. This is not um, a from scratch document. This is a one paragraph deal. So, um, well, tell me, so you've made a really good case for um, the nightmare that happens when people who aren't supposed to die and anytime soon, but tragically do, do die. And then eventually um, we're all going to have to face this. You've made a really good case for it's so much better with, with documents. So how do you, what's the first step, right? How, how do you get started with this? So the first step is to meet with a lawyer and you can ask around to your friends, see if any of them have worked with it. Uh, you're specifically going to look for an estate planning attorney. So any estate planning attorney is going to walk you through the process of getting a will. And again, a will is the document that handles all of these questions that come up after you die. An estate planning attorney is also going to help you with some some documents that you're going to need to help you through old age. Some of those that we touched on before the break. What happens to our clients um, as they age and if dementia sets in, do we have the right documents in place to make sure that someone else can manage their finances on their behalf, someone else can speak to their doctors on their behalf. So any estate planning attorney will be able to help you with your will for your for your after death nightmare scenarios and tidy up all of those issues, but also those um, incapacity issues that happen while we're alive. And, and the documents you want for that are called a durable general power of an attorney and um, a healthcare directive. And some people, it will all, all it will also make sense to have something called a revocable living trust. Again, that's going to depend on what your assets look like and where you live, but all of these big issues that's really in the wheelhouse of an estate planning attorney to help get those drafted um when i say attorney a lot of people say oh come on <laughs> attorneys are so expensive do i really have to do all that work I, i'm going to just go online and you know i, I saw an ad the other day, day that said for 200 bucks i can get a will online i'm going to do that and I really have to put in, I, I wouldn't be doing my job here today if I didn't really put in my warning against using these cheap online services. Unfortunately, they become a you get what you pay for scenario. Um, I was online um, scrolling through Instagram that I, I, I know you're not supposed to do that before bed, but I do it pretty much every night. So I'm scrolling through Instagram before I go to bed one night and I come across this ad that says, um, get a life insurance quote and a will for free in five minutes. Well, that woke me up and I perked right up and I click on that link and put in all of my information and it walks me through and it says, um, okay, what's your name? Who do, who, do, who do you want to be in charge when you die? Who should get your money? Um, they ask me these sorts of questions. So I, I answer, you know, three or four questions and out comes, you know, sure enough, five, 10 minutes later, there is a document in my inbox of my email, complete with instructions on how to print and how to sign in front of witnesses and a notary. And I start to read through it. And the first line says, I, Megan Schaefer, a resident of the state of the District of Columbia. So 
right there in line one. For those of you who aren't paying attention to the news or really US history, the District of Columbia is not a state. So in line one, it's showing me, um, okay, this isn't really a great document. And, and the problems with this document went on from there. If I hadn't been a lawyer, though, I may not have seen those issues. I may have said, okay, well, they called DC a state. It's not a state, no big deal. What the rest of the document said, though, is if I die, my husband Tom is in charge of everything. Um, Tom gets all my money. And if both Tom and I die, then everything goes to our son, Ethan. Okay, well, if I'm not a lawyer, I'm thinking, all right, sounds good. Sounds exactly what I wanted. And I would develop this false sense of security that I had everything right and in place. Because I'm a lawyer, though, I know that a document that names my minor child as my beneficiary has big problems. Anytime we're leaving money to anyone under the age of 18, we, we run into the issue of minor kids aren't legally old enough to inherit. So even though I named him as a beneficiary in my will, we still run into the issue of if I die tomorrow, I've got a chunk of money going to a four-year-old child because my will says so. Someone's going to have to go into court, petition a judge and say, hey, Ethan's mom died. She left him a bunch of money, but he's not 18 yet. So I'm going to manage the money on his behalf. They then have to prepare an accounting every single nine months to a year, go back into that same courtroom, pay those filing fees, pay those legal fees, and show how each and every penny has been spent. That goes on until my child is 18 years old, and then guess what happens on his 18th birthday? He gets that money outright with zero adult supervision. So I touched on this briefly when we first started talking. An 18-year-old, generally speaking, it does not have the life experience. They may be a great kid. They may make great decisions, but they simply don't have the life experience to have a solid financial understanding of the best way to manage this money. So I've seen these court-supervised um, situations where it, you can't, do good financial planning, right? So all the chunk of money um, goes into treasury bills or certificates of deposit. None of it goes into a 529 plan so it could grow adequately to um, fund an, an education. None of it goes into a little Roth IRA if somebody's working a part-time job. And, you know, it's just, it just all the basics of financial planning um, are usurped by the very rigid rules of what a court appoint, um, uh, supervised pile of money uh, is allowed to do. That's a great point. So a lot of times when we have um, uh, parents that pass away, we've got money, we've, we've now have a large chunk of money because we have the life insurance coming in, we have the retirement plans that were never tapped into coming in. And we have quite a bit of money going to someone who's young. They're going to need some of that money up front, but a substantial chunk of it. Anytime we're looking at a substantial chunk of money that we're not going to need immediately, we're going to be looking for growth opportunities for that money. A lot of those growth opportunities aren't necessarily um for for legal purposes, the anyone who is court appointed, their job is to just maintain exactly that amount of money. 
So they're going to be very, very conservative in how they invest that money, where they put that money, what they use that money for. That money right. is not going to be growing at what otherwise would have been considered a financially appropriate manner. Or, and, and we're not growing money for, for money's sake. If money doesn't grow, it actually loses value. Exactly. So when I'm leaving money in these very, very conservative, um, appropriate to satisfy the court um, kinds of accounts, I actually have less money in 20 years than what was inherited because money is only as good as what you can spend it on. $100,000 today, we all know what that buys. Well, 20 years from now, it buys half of that if we don't make it grow. Right? And it actually can be even worse than that. It, we have scenarios where, if, so if I name a minor child as a beneficiary of a life insurance policy, for example, that life insurance company is well within their rights to say, depending on the contract you have with that company, but they can look and say, you know what, we don't have to give money to anyone who's not a legal adult. So they're well within their rights to hold that life insurance money, which the child really needs to grow and develop and prosper. Eat. Um, yes. They Food, clothing, shelter. That life insurance money in a non-interest bearing account where it just sits and is devalued until their 18th birthday. Wow. <laughs> I think it's time for a break. And let the good folks listening know about what NITP can do for them. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career? Or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. All righty. Welcome back to For Your Benefit. We're in the final minutes, a good few minutes, talking about financial planning with Karen and Megan Schaefer. But we went beyond financial planning. We did a little, we, we didn't we trust on estate planning, but not real deep. Uh, you know, you got to, you got to put that in your will. Doesn't the will control all? So a, a will controls most. <laughs> <laughs> A will controls most. When we pass away, a will is, again, just to recap, the document that we want to say, who's going to take care of the kids? Who's going to get the money? Who's going to be in charge? And are we leaving our assets to our minor kids, to our loved ones, to our favorite charities? Are we doing that in the most cost and time effective manner? So anytime we're writing a will, we are saving our families from a massive paperwork headache that would be coming their way if we did not sign a will. We had talked a little bit about, you know, do I really need a lawyer to do this? You know, the, the issue with getting a will, it becomes a time and money 
now uh, and meeting with a lawyer becomes a time and money. If we spend the time and money to do it all right now, we are saving 10 times the time and money that would fall on our families otherwise. Um, and, and, you know, I, I understand why people don't want to have to sit down and meet with lawyers. They're, you know, I am a lawyer. We're not the friendliest group of people. We don't always get off, off the warm and cuddlies and we send you a bill at the end of the meeting. So I get it. It's a little bit like the dentist. But what are some things that people can do? You know, it's my goal to have everyone listening today saying, okay, I heard you, Megan. I'm going to get a will. I'm going to meet with a lawyer to do it. So I, I want to make this um, process as easy as possible for our listeners today. What are some things that you can do? Well, first, to keep down costs, if you're really concerned about how much a lawyer is going to cost you, you can always call around a few places and just say, you know, I need a will or I have a will, but it's pretty outdated. Um, how much do you generally charge for these sorts of things? Call around a few different places. Most are going to be able to give you a ballpark answer before you even get started. So you'll have some idea. If you're getting those answers and you don't like them, like a lot of things in life, the further you go away from a metro, major metropolitan area, the cheaper that cost is going to be. If I live in Maryland, if I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, I can work with any Maryland attorney. But if I'm living in Montgomery County, if I'm living in Bethesda, that fee is going to be significantly higher than say if I go out, um, out to Frederick or, or a little further away I'm from Melbourne. And, and so that can be one way that you keep down costs, especially since most of our lawyers are doing most of our meetings via Zoom. Call around, call further out in whatever county you're living in. Don't feel like you have to stick near the big city to get this done. And don't you um, also find, Megan, that um, a bigger, the bigger the firm, the more likely they, they have capabilities of doing very complicated things, but the, even the basic documents are more expensive. And yeah. so, so like, mid-sized and small firms are um, perfectly adequate if you don't have a real complicated situation. Exactly. If you're one of the people listening today and you're saying, you know what, I just want everything to go to my spouse. I don't want them to have to go to a lot of paperwork. And if we both die, I want this to go to nieces and nephews or a favorite charity. Look at your, your mid-sized, your solo practitioners and, and look a little, you know, look away from the major commercial hubs in your county. Um, and, and then another if way you can really cut down costs is if you're prepared for that meeting. I've talked a lot about the issues that, that are going to come up in that initial meeting. Um, and if you've thought through some of these issues before you meet with your attorney, well, then you don't have to spend those 20 minutes of, of billable time talking to, through them with your attorney. So the things you should sort of have a mental list of going into that meeting. Um, you should have the idea of who should be in charge if something happens to you. Who are your decision makers? Who's your first choice? Who's your backup choices? Who should get your stuff? So make the list of who's in charge. Make the list of who's going to get your stuff. Who's going to raise the kids. Have those types of issues already thought through a little bit. And also... And, uh, yep, make sure that you're, you're thinking about these people stepping in while you're still alive. Correct. Right? Who's going to make healthcare decisions for you, who's going to make financial decisions for you if you haven't passed away yet, but you're not competent anymore to make those decisions. And, right. and how do you um, coach people, Megan? Um, do, you, do you kind of insist on first and second choices or 
do you go further than that or is right so when whenever we're talking about our decision makers you always want to have a first choice and a second choice then we're looking and 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 possibly even a third a third choice if you if you know who that person is going to be it's a great time to add them in as well because we 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 don't know what the future holds um if if someone passes away before you we want to make sure we have that sort of hierarchy of, of decision makers all set up and ready to go. Um, so, and, and again, this is sort of the list of people that you're going to be thinking through every three to five years. Do they still make sense? And should we still keep them? Um, and, and really, a lot of people do get sort of, they're looking around their friend group and their family tree and they're saying, uh-oh, I got nothing. I got no one here. So if you fall into that category, don't worry. You still need a will, still work with an attorney, and they'll help coach you through who the best person to do that job is. And Professionals we're, we're, will we're, do this job all the time, and it's um, it's an option as well. We're finding that the um, family trees have become quite twig-like these this generation, and so and and I work with a lot of people who you know, work at these international banks. They just thought they were coming to the U.S. for a year or two. And now 30 years later, they're still here and no documents um, and they don't have any family. So we we sort of come up with pseudo family. Who are you spending your holidays with or who, you know, which of your kids, which of your best friends who had children? Um, are you really close to those children? Because you kind of want to go down to the next generation. Once, once you get to a certain age, um, you want to start thinking about your people of responsibility um, being of a younger generation as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, but you know, it's it's a really great time when you're thinking through these issues is to do sort of a, a paperwork fire drill. This is also something that will help you as you're meeting with an attorney. You know, you're gonna put together your list of who your decision makers are. You're gonna have that conversation with your spouse about what makes sense for, for you and and you're going to put together a list of all the assets you have. And um, because even when we do pick our decision maker, we want to make sure that we're giving them appropriate tools to be able to make good decisions for us. So if I write a will and I say, okay, my sister's in charge if something happens to me, but then my sister has no idea where my life insurance is or where my bank accounts are, that's, that's a problem. So I want or, to keep sort of a working where your passwords are. Exactly. Right. I want to I want to keep a, a working list of the various financial institutions that I have accounts at. That list does not need to include account numbers or passwords, but my sister is going to need to know that she should call Fidelity or Schwab or Bank of America or Capital One, wherever it may be. That will save a huge amount of time going forward. It's amazing to me how quickly credit card companies find out that we've passed away. It's like someone passes away and the credit card is calling the next day. You know who never calls? The life insurance company. So <laughs> if we have a life insurance policy out there, but no one knows it exists or no one knows what company to call, it, there's a good chance it might go uncollected. And what a waste that would be. So make the We worked with a family once where the husband had died tragically in a plane or helicopter accident. She's got a couple little kids, is pregnant. You know, she finds out after the funeral that she's pregnant with her third child. And she's almost unable to communicate, you know, that she's just in shock. And we were going through her bills, trying to figure out how much money is she going to need coming in every month. And there on one of the credit card statements was a, 
a, a premium for life insurance that she had no idea they had. And we, we called that insurance company and it was the game changer, right? It was, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this is going to work. Um, uh, it, but we otherwise never would have known. And when I first started practicing many, many years ago, this is going to show my age a bit, but when I first started practicing, I used to be able to tell clients, you know, collect mail for three to six months. Everybody gets a paper statement in the mail eventually. You'll hear from every account that way. Well, we simply just can't say that anymore. How many of us have, um, you know, paperless billing and have never received anything in the mail or what does come in the mail looks like an ad for something. And so now it is not uncommon to need to hire a private investigator to figure out what somebody owned when they passed away. So it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty yeah. amazing how, how difficult just that identifying and locating assets part of this step has, has become. May I ask a question? Cause we're running short on time. Of course. How does anybody get in touch with either or both of you? Sure. Well, I am Megan Schaefer, and you can find me at uh, Megan at mschaeferlaw.com. That's my email address, and I check it all the time. <laughs> and I'm Karen Schaefer, and you can find me at Schaefer Financial in Rockville, Maryland. Um, whether you just, it's easy to pick up the phone, 301 933 5550. Okay. You were helping us, Megan, um, save some money. I worked, one of my clients worked with an attorney in Texas who had a great, um, it, she gave a little discount if you signed your documents within six months of receiving a draft. And mm -hmm. I just thought that was brilliant because a lot of times people are looking at these drafts and we're busy and it's in legalese and I don't really get right, right no. Uh, I don't have the time to sit down and look at this and they never signed them. And that's hmm. just this huge waste. So I, I thought that was a brilliant way to motivate people to, you, you know, we, we got to complete the process here. It was good for you to do your upfront homework and to find the estate planning attorney at the reasonable price, but we got to sign the documents. Right. So there are two sort of overwhelming moments when people sort of sit down for the first time to tackle their estate planning. And that first, hump to get over is actually meeting with the attorney and actually thinking through some of these issues we've talked about today. If you get over that hump, the next hump that comes is when you actually get the drafts of the documents and you're looking at these pages and pages of a will and a medical directive and a power of attorney and a trust if you need one, and it can be overwhelming. And so to help you through that process, generally what the things that you're gonna flip through and look for, there's gonna be a lot of legal language in there that, that you're gonna to have to, to rely on your attorney um, to know that they've, they've been to law school, they're doing their job correctly. And the parts that you wanna to flip to are where you have people named. Do you have the right people named when decision-making places? And do you have the right people named to get your stuff and to take care of the kids? And if you really focus on those areas in your documents and just say, yeah, okay, those are the right people, those are the right spellings, then odds are you're gonna be in a pretty good spot. But people get these hugely legal documents and get very overwhelmed thinking they really need to comb through them. And I'm, I'm not saying don't read them, certainly you wanna read them, but don't worry if you don't understand every aspect of it. You can ask your attorney, 
but keep the ball moving. These documents are not valid until they are notarized and signed in front of witnesses. And that's the big deal, right? That yeah. we, we've got to get them done. Yeah. Okay. Talking about big deals. What do we have? Three minutes, Andrew? <laughs> Three. Yeah. What one, Sorry, one more question. What's that phone number again for you all? For Schaefer 301-933-5550. And is there a website? There is. Schaefer, yeah. Uh, Schaeferfinancial.com. Yeah. And, you know, the only tricky thing about Schaefer, um, it has every letter that you could put in it, right? There's so many different spellings. So just think about all the letters that you've ever seen in that um, that name, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. And you'll, you'll find us. We're Googleable, as we say these days. Not too hard to find. Okay. <clears throat> and we are two minutes, Andrew, or three? Andrew says two. Okay. So just, I'm going to do a quick recap for everyone tuning in today. We've talked about, you know, why you need a will, some of the horror stories. We actually, we talked a lot about what happens when people have, have minor kids. And so if you're listening, you're thinking, you're kind of not paying attention to us because you don't have minor kids. I, I still want to make sure that you know, you need a will, you need a will, and you can't assume that everything's going to go towards surviving spouse. If without a will, we're going to have a lot of paperwork that's going to fall on someone else's shoulders. So we want to take the time to get our paperwork house in order and meet with the attorney, spend the small amount of money now compared to the large amount of time and money that um, would be coming your family's way if, if you don't have a will. Um, you're, you need to meet with a lawyer to do this. Um, before you have that meeting, you're going to think through who your decision makers should be, who your beneficiaries, who should get your money. And you're going to pull together a list of all of your assets. You're going to say, okay, this is where the life insurance is. This is where um, the checking and savings accounts is. This is where the um, investment accounts are. You're going to go through each of those things. Um, by the way, when you're looking at your retirement plans and your life insurance policies, go through and find the beneficiary designation forms for each of those policies. Even if you write a will that says, when I die, everything goes to my spouse. If you have an old retirement account out there that says, when I die, this asset goes to my sibling, guess what? The beneficiary designation trumps your will. So it's very important that our beneficiary designations, that we know what they actually say. It's very common for people to come in and say, oh, I know those are up to date, but turns out they're not. So do yourself a favor, track down those forms. So track down your beneficiary forms, make a list of your assets, meet with an attorney and happy national get a will month. <laughs> <laughs> and, and your financial was, planner will love you when you get it done and it's and it, it was is here to help you get organized and stay organized and encourage you to read that draft and sign it so yeah i, I didn't even know make a will month was a thing right but it's it is not nearly month. as exciting or delicious as national ice cream month but you know it's a great excuse for us <laughs> to help or remind people that exactly. it's time to get this done Great. Okay, quick. Phone numbers or a website. 
Schaeferfinancial.com in Rockville, Maryland, 301-933-5550. And I'm Megan Schaefer. And I'm Karen Schaefer. And we're encouraging you to get your documents done. And I'm Bob Lines, and we're done. So thanks for being on the show. It was, uh, as always expected, fantastic. Thank you, and have a nice day. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.